The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the radio, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. By the way, if you want to call in at any time, um, give a comment, add something to the show, or challenge something, whatever you want to do. Uh, the number is there, 803-619-9855, 803-619-9855. Happy to take your call. Um, if you would like to see the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the faces made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, and there you're going to find two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. Uh, he's really on a roll. <laughs> I've been able to catch a couple of shows this week uh, due to my illness, if you will. Um, and he's been on a roll this week. Really, really good shows. And then on the right side of the... And by the way, he'll be live in that area at 3 o'clock Eastern, Lord willing. All right. And uh, we'll, we'll have him on then. Um, in that little area. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up whatever device you got. Look for Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. Uh, join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, and uh, while you're there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then we're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there. And uh, we appreciate Michael and his team giving us a spot on their platform. Back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Right up under where we're streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter, that is there on the right side of the page, the upper right side of the page. And uh, so, yeah, you'll get all the articles from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com that day in your inbox, late afternoon, early evening, including the Morning Show archive. So, again, just to show people, if you scroll down here just a little bit, there's the Morning Show archive from yesterday. So, uh, that would come in your email inbox uh, you'd have that. You can watch the video. You can listen to the podcast. You can click all the links. Also in there, just so you know, uh, the previous day's articles, along with any articles and documents and videos and stuff like that, we throw that in there, too. That way, if there's anything in the show that you see that you want to share with friends or you want to archive for yourself and keep for yourself, you can do so. And it, it makes it pretty pretty simple. I, I think it does. 
Makes it simple for me. I like, I like simple. I'm not a simple ton, but I, I do like simple things. Uh, with that said, a couple of things before we get to our main topic today. And yes, I, I am feeling much, much better. I, I really am. Um, thank you guys for praying with me. And, um, and I thank the Lord for, you know, continued strength and, and uh, rejuvenation and recovery. And uh, boy, I'm, I got to tell you, if you are uh, anywhere around uh, and you are one of those people who are in a house where the women of the house like to bake, there's some cranberry apple bread that's been going on. I'm not big on the, you know, a lot of the cookies and stuff like that, but those things have been being cooked and uh, all sorts of stuff. And so I'm, I'm sort of in a torture mode because I'm I'm being careful about what I eat here. But it's that time of year where just certain things that don't get made during the rest part of the year get made. And um, so I got to tell you, I'm. I'm probably going to have a little bit of that. I, I am. and But I got a couple more days to make sure everything gets clear. So water is my friend right now. Um, as you can see, uh, it, that is my friend right now. And uh, it's helping to stave off some of this stuff that uh, is happening with my kidneys and such. But uh, already we have a caller here. So I want to take them right, right off the bat here. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. So I have a question. I'm a baby Christian. Okay. So and now Christmas is is that that's not the birth of Jesus Christ for in the Bible it just re, uh, relates to the sun. I mean the star being in the east and then in the west. You know, they don't say anything about snow. And then my other question is about Easter, his resurrection day. I know that's his resurrection day, so that's why I can't put his Christmas and his resurrection day together for there's no snow in the Bible. Okay, I I don't understand what your I don't understand what your question is. There, there's no snow uh, in the Bible. Like, no, no. My question is: the the birth of Jesus Christ is it Christmas or is it not? Yeah, I know it's just a pagan. It's a pagan holiday, but but so it's not. So is it unknown? But it's Resurrection Day is Easter. Okay, well, again, I, this is why I, ch- I challenged people to go read Bradley's article the other day, and I, I'm debating whether I was just going to play music on you know, Monday, or like I did the other year, or uh, have something to say, and I, I'm probably going to have something to say. Uh, but here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate Christmas. It doesn't. Right. Let's just get that out of the way. It, there is right. nowhere where that is commanded. There's nowhere it's set up to where we do all you know, the things that the people do. There, there's none, none of that. However, is there a problem with remembering and being thankful for the Incarnation? No, everything is good about that. But the Incarnation was only the beginning. The point of the Incarnation was to point to what the, what the one who was incarnated, which is Christ, 
what he was to do. And that was not even the resurrection. He didn't say, he didn't commemorate that. In fact, what he said, what he told his disciples at the time, the night before he was to be uh, crucified, was he said, this is, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the blood of the new covenant uh, in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul would carry it out, and he said, as often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death, not his birth, not his resurrection, until he comes. Uh, but I take opportunities like this where the world wants to focus on all the goodies uh, of, you know, quote-unquote baby Jesus. Jesus isn't a baby anymore. He's, right. not, a man, he's not a man like, like he was anymore. He is the glorified Son of God. He's still on the throne. So, yeah, Amen. but there's, there's some interesting things there. Uh, in that history. And I learned one the other day from my pastor uh, when he was talking about, you know, I, I said, what is this thing with the December 25th thing? And he said, you know, it's really interesting. He said, tradition, and again, this is tradition, it's not the Word of God, but tradition tells us that Jesus was conceived or took a, took, went into uh, the womb of Mary there in, at, at Passover. And if you would count nine months up, that's where you would get, December 25th. Do I think that's what it was? No. I think probably September, October, somewhere in there is probably when he was born. Okay. Um, but, but your point's well taken. I, I, I get it. I think the thing for us is, is we've got to focus on what did he come to do? And so I don't focus on the trinkets. I don't focus on trees. I don't focus on presents. I go to the Word of God, and that's what we're going to do today. We're, we're not going to be talking about uh, Christmas, so to speak, even though when I read uh, Charles Spurgeon years ago, you know, he was, he was a, basically the last of the Puritans. And uh, Spurgeon would say, look, I can say Merry Christmas to somebody and understand that we are celebrating the, the birth of Christ, that we're giving thanks to God for Christ. But he... He would he would say, you know, I don't participate in the celebratory stuff that they that's, that goes on as well. But he could he could do that with people uh, in in a sense of dealing with what the scriptures actually did say. And so, you know, there's a lot of things within even the quote unquote Christmas story, such as the wise men showing up. They don't show up for probably two years um, in their travels, and so uh, they're not there. At the manger. They're, they're not. They're there at a house. Go read Luke, and you'll see it. They show up at a house, and Jesus is there with his mother. And so, okay. um, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of different things there. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a fair question, and if you're a young Christian, I would say stick with the Scriptures. Yes. And if your conscience, you know, is, is bound to the Scriptures, which they should be, then you, yes. do what, you do what your conscience is led to do by the Scriptures. Okay. Okay. Yep. Thank you, Tim. I'm ready for the show. All right, brother. Thank you so much for the call. Yep. All right, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, there he goes. And I didn't get his name, but thank you for calling. Appreciate it very much. And I'll take your call, too, if you want to call in. 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. And um, with that said, let me give you a couple of things here. Uh, before we really get into some of this, I'm probably going to be pushing myself a little bit uh, here today. So if we have to go over a little bit, I I feel a little more energy today than the previous two days. Um, and so I'm really thankful to God for that. I really am. Uh, these are a couple of things that, that are going on right now. Um, if you were listening yesterday, of course, uh, 
Bradley's highlighting again the invasion. This everything that seems to be going on in our country and around the world, or at least what we're fed that we need to that's of a major importance to us, is to distract us from the invasion that's taking place, just like God said it would in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Just like he said. And there's people out there who still think, oh, the Bible is outdated, it's ancient, it's not relevant. Blah. Meanwhile, we have churches like Elevation Church over here across the line from me in Charlotte. And their baptismal pool is at the end of a water slide on a stage. What in the world are we doing? I can remember years ago when we were planning the church over here in Gastonia, North Carolina. One of the men at the church brought in this article and they said, you got to see this. And this is this guy, Steve Furlick or whatever his name. I, I don't know. I think that's his name. He's got his, what's that thing that he did, they do with their hair now? They cut it short, but they leave it long kind of in the middle and the top. And it kind of, it's, it's like a, a faux hawk, I think is what they call it. It's not a mohawk. It's a faux hawk or something. He's got that going on. He's got his rad $40 or $50 t-shirt that he bought, his $100 belt, his you know, $300 boots and $100 jeans and all this stuff. And he said, I've got to be relevant to the people. Is that following in the footsteps of Jesus? Man, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He had a, a, a cloak that they had to rip it up. This, this garment that he had, they had to rip it up so they could gamble for it at his death. These are the kind of hirelings that are out there. They may think in their mind that they're winning people to the kingdom. But let me tell you where they're leading them. They're leading them to the judgment of God. That's what they're doing. They're not leading them to the kingdom. Faithful men preach the word. That's what they do. They preach the word of God. They hold forth the whole counsel of God. And they call men to repent and to submit to that. Now, let me, let me just give you a little, little um, uh, spoiler alert here. That is the government being upon his shoulders. That's the spoiler alert. That's what that really means. The government is upon Jesus. So we're not waiting for that, guys. If you're waiting for that and you go, you're looking around and you're going, well, I don't see his government. It's because you don't understand. You're looking with these. You're not looking with the eyes of faith. You're not understanding what God has done, not what he's going to do, what he has done in Christ. And until we get that, we will never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, never submit to his rule and advance his kingdom. We'll never do it because we keep thinking it's somewhere way out there rather than here and now whether they're right here in us, as Jesus said. That's what he told the people. And if you need some help with that, um, you know, we did some kingdom series on that, Matthew 24, several other passages and such, and we dealt specifically with that.
what is a kingdom? And Paul said in the first century, <laughs> he said he translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, did Paul get translated there or did he not? Did the church get translated there or did they not? Well, I'm not going to say the Holy Spirit's a liar. Paul wrote under inspiration of the Spirit and said so. But going back to what I was talking about here, Bradley was hitting on this yesterday about the invasion. We had this article up yesterday. Whistleblower, South American violent criminals dispersed across the U.S. cities and run up to 2024 chaos. Now, I know, look, there's got to be something done here. And I, I've tried to give encouragement to the men. Men, I'm begging you. You're going to have to do things different. You're going to have to get with the other men of your community. You're going to have to build up that militia. You're going to have to start executing the laws of the Union, which is your duty under the Constitution. And I would say even biblically, we looked at some of that uh, when I was up in Michigan, and I guess I'm going to save those things for maybe next week. Maybe bring some of those messages. You are going to be vital. And just because you have a gun and you tout pew pew America and you got Second Amendment doesn't mean you're ready for what's coming. It doesn't. And I'd be a fool to say that I would be ready for it. But we must come together. We must disciple one another, spur one another on to love and good works, repent of our sins, and learn what our duty is before God and man in that endeavor. But that's the first one. And then on top of that, we've got this Yahoo, Texas governor, Greg Abbott, listen to this guy. Anti-Semitic platforms like Gab have no place in Texas and certainly do not represent Texas values. What does represent Texas values is legislation like this by Representative King and Representative Coleman that fights anti-Semitism in Texas. All right. Anti-Semitic Anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic. Go to Gab. I, I've, I've not seen anything anti-Semitic. These people, like Abbott and the rest of the Zionists, will side with the Pharisees against Jesus and his followers. You watch them. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. And Gab told uh, Trump and his team to take a flying leap when they said, we need some anti-Semitic uh, rules in here. Oh, you want special treatment for people who call themselves Jews but are not? Hmm. Nah, get out of here. We're not doing it. Rumble did it, though. Which may be why sometimes when we talk about this stuff, our numbers seem to go. Just saying. Just saying. Rumble took the bait on it. And they did it so they would get Trump over there, by the way. And Trump is a Zionist, just like Biden is a Zionist. He's playing the game here. <clears throat> just like we fund both sides of the war over there with Israel, Israel's over here funding both sides of the parties. Yep. In fact, we had an article out the other day by Alan McLeod, um, and 
I'm trying to think of what the name was. Oh, here it is. This is it here. I'll try to make sure I'll try to make sure that we put it up. Blood money. The top ten politicians taking the most Israel lobby cash. I want to ask a question. Where are our representatives supposed to be taking money from any other country? Where are our representatives? Article 1, where, where's it at? Those are called bribes, are they not? Well, they're helping their campaign. And we're told, oh, China and Russia are hacking our elections. Well, right out in the open, foreign countries are giving money to our representatives to influence them about stealing our money to give it to them so they can go commit genocide or do whatever they're going to do wherever they're going to do it on the earth. That's what's going on. Absolutely ridiculous. And Gab's not anti-Semitic. No, I, I haven't seen anybody calling for the death of the Israelis. I've not seen anybody calling for pushing them off into the ocean. You certainly haven't heard that here on the Sons of Liberty. We hold them up to the standard of the Word of God and what it says about Israel. My goodness, I, it, it's just absolutely crazy. And people think this Greg Abbott is on their side. This traitor is allowing the influx of illegals by the tens of thousands every day in your state, Texans. I thought, you don't mess with Texas, but apparently you do with a guy who can't even walk. Leading them. Think about that for a second. This guy has done nothing to stop the flood across the southern border in his state. Nothing. Oh, he took a picture and said, the feds cut our, our razor wire. Well, why didn't you go arrest them? And why didn't you go put some real men down there that would stop the people at the border and say, you're not crossing. Go back to where you came from. Talk to the guys. Get on your cell phone and talk to the guys who got you the new shoes and the new hoodies and, and your bags and got you to travel up here. Why don't you talk to them about getting you back where you were? You're not coming through here. And I'll, I'll bet there's some men who are willing to do it. But they do it, and what is their platform? Anti-Semitism. You hate the Jews. Come on, man. Being critical of people is part of how we distinguish what's true and what's not. What's right and what's wrong. We, we filter what we're looking at, what we're hearing, what we're seeing through the truth, which is the Word of God. And then we've got this stuff going on. Here's another one. Sort of a yawn right now, i got to tell you, because nobody's going to bring any, any justice here. Court orders a release of 180 names linked to Epstein and Maxwell. Great! It, it includes victims, too. And some of these people were, oh, don't put my name out there, don't put my name. And the victims are going, yeah, your name needs to be out there too. You're in with this guy. People need to know. By the way, Epstein and Maxwell. Hmm. Greg Abbott is probably mum on the word on this one. Maxwell's daddy was clearly in with the Mossad. And it's 
there's been handlers that have come out and pointed and said Maxwell and Epstein were spies for Israel. I guess that's anti-Semitic, isn't it? Even though th those words are coming from, quote-unquote, Israelis. And then this one, too. And then we're going to just jump on this other, uh, the, the, the topic we're going to have today. <clears throat> Wyoming woman blows the whistle about a health group's alleged ethics and legal violations and then claims that Newcastle Hospital tried to have her involuntarily committed as insane because she was doing it. Who is she talking about? Weston County Health Services. Weston, if you know, I, I don't even know what they are. Apparently they're in Wyoming. Maybe they're in other parts of the country as well. But then this Newcastle Hospital wanted to have her committed as insane because she was blowing the whistle on the fact that Weston County Health Services, whom she, I believe she worked for. Oh, no, she worked for uh, Newcastle Hospital. I'm sorry. <clears throat> She worked for Newcastle Hospital, and she's suing Weston County Health Services because of what she saw and what she said they were doing that she thought was ethically wrong and in violation of the law. And they tried to put her in a mental institute. Isn't that nice? Well, let's go over here just for a little bit to the scriptures this morning. And... Um, it's interesting to me, you know, it was Isaiah, you know, he's, he's quoted so much in the New Testament. This is fulfilled according to the words of Isaiah. This was done in fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Over and over and over we see that. And one of the interesting things that we see, and this, you know, is often a scripture reference, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 you know, at this time of year. It's funny, though, the people that quote it don't actually believe it. I mean, practically, they don't act actually believe the government shall be upon the shoulders of the king, the Lord Jesus. They don't actually believe that. They live as though it's not. So here's what we see. Isaiah chapter 9. Beginning at verse uh, 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death Upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy, the joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then listen to this part right here. 
because I don't know if you've slowed down enough to pay attention to what the word actually says. Of the increase of his government and peace, listen, there shall be no end. Did you get that? The increase of his government, there shall be no end. It will keep increasing. The peace of his government, there shall be no end. It will be increasing. It has been increasing. Boy, go back and look. <laughs> what did we see there in the first century, friends? What, what did we see? Jesus had 12 disciples with him, right? Time he departs, Pentecost comes. How many are hanging out together? 120, right? So tenfold, he's already, you know, grew that, that we know. And there's probably others as well. What is it now? We have seen the biblical church grow over the centuries. It has tried to be beaten down by wicked men. It has tried to be eliminated. The voices tried to be silenced. And what's happened? The word of the Lord endures forever. Why? Because the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. And he goes on, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, I know what people are saying. Didn't you see that, Tim? This has got to happen with, with uh, uh, modern-day geopolitical Israel. See, it said there, throne of David. That's not what it's talking about at all. That's not what it's talking about at all. Go read the New Testament. Read the book of Acts when Peter is recounting. Acts chapter 2. And he's recounting. He's talk, definitely talking about David. And he's saying, look, this isn't about David. When he's referencing back into the Old Testament, he says, this isn't about David. This is about Christ. David's over there in his tomb. You can go, you can go check it out right now. He's not talking about that. He's talking about somebody else that this government is going to be upon his shoulder. Let me take you over to Webster's just for a second. This is a Webster's 1828. Just want to take this word out just a little bit. Uh, this is uh, the word government. Okay. A lot of people have a lot of concepts about what government is. Let's just break it down. To, to govern means to control. Okay, now we're going to see that as part of the definition here in Webster's in a minute. And meant of the mind. So it's control of the mind. So there's no doubt that all government, no matter if it's God's government or if it's man's government, is a form of mind control, if you will. And I'm going to show you how even God's government is that. Okay? Watch what happens here. These precepts will serve for the government of our conduct. This is Noah Webster. Number one, control, restraint. Men are apt to neglect the government of their temper and passions. This is the main reason why we have a problem with government in D.C. or the state or at the local level. 
Number one, the men who are being governed don't govern themselves. They don't control their minds and their passions and their bodies. And neither do those who represent them because they elect people who are just like them in many cases. And I know sometimes there's election fraud and stuff. I get that too, okay? But again, that's a toleration of the people to let it sit there, isn't it? And we talked about this the other day. Ahijah, out of 1 Kings. And now the people let the kings go in their wickedness and didn't call them back to the law. Didn't hold them accountable. Number two, the exercise of authority. Direction and restraint exercised over the actions of men and communities, societies, or states. The administration of public affairs according to established constitution, laws, and usages, or by arbitrary edicts. And again, you know, I would point back to God's already given us a constitution in the Word of God. They're called testaments. Testaments. And in those testaments are what? His commands, His statutes, and His judgments. They're in there. That's his government. The exercise of authority by a parent or householder. Children are often ruined by a neglect of government in parents. Let family governments be like that of Heavenly Father, or our Heavenly Father, mild, gentle, and affectionate. Number four, the system of polity in the state. That form of fundamental rules and principles by which a nation or state is governed or by which individual members of a body politic are to regulate their social actions, a constitution, either written or unwritten, by which the rights and duties of citizens and public officers are prescribed and defined as a monarchical government or a republican government. Thirteen governments thus founded on the natural authority of the people alone, without the pretense of miracle or mystery, are a great point gained in favor of the rights of mankind. Number five. An empire, kingdom, or state, any territory over which the right of sovereignty is extended. Number six, the right of governing or administering the laws. The king of England vested the government of Ireland in the Lord Lieutenant. That's his example there. Um, Number seven, the persons or council which administer the laws of a kingdom or state. Number eight, manageableness, compliance. I know this word, and I'm just not going to do the anatomy thing. Okay, I'm just going to skip that one. You guys can see it. Number nine, regularity of behavior. Number 10, management of the limbs or body. That one's going to come in a a portion of Scripture that we're going to point to at the end. So, Webster lays out what government actually is. And government is to be good. That's what it's supposed to be. God's government is perfect. There's no question about that. And we are to govern ourselves according to what God has said, how we're to govern ourselves. When we fail to do that, we get bad government in ourselves. We get it in our families. We get it in our churches. We get it in our states. So it all comes back to us as individuals, doesn't it? Having our houses in order, first and foremost. The second thing I want you to notice in this passage here is this one who comes, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Several words used here uh, in the Hebrew. His name is going to be Wonderful. 
the term, the word that's used here means wonder, marvelous. Uh, wonder of God's acts of judgment and redemption. Notice it's about his name. What his name is. What is his name? Well, we know Jesus, Yeshua. We, we know who God's covenant name is. It's Yahweh, right? We know that. It's a wonderful name. Then we're told it's counselor. And the Hebrew word here means to advise, consult, give counsel, counsel purpose, devise, plan. Um, a number of these kinds of things are where he is giving his command and he's explaining it. He's showing you wisdom in the midst of that. That's what he does. In fact, what does God call the people to do? Come, let us reason together. If you're not understanding, come and listen to what I have to say and understand so that you can obey. If there's a problem understanding, come to me and I'll help you understand. He is the mighty God, the strong and mighty man. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the one over the angels. He is the one true and living God. He's also spoken of as the everlasting Father. And the word there is Abiyad. I hope I said that correctly. Perpetuity. Forever. Continuing future. He is ancient. That's the idea. It's not that he's you know, I, I hear people say this kind of stuff all the time, and it just I just kind of sit back and go, I don't think you're thinking that thing through right. They come to this idea of modalism, what we call modalism. This idea that God is one the way man thinks God is one. Instead of the way the Bible portrays God, as three persons who are God, who are the one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory, as the Catechism teaches. The point is, is this. This one coming is from old. It's not that he's the Father, He's not like uh, some of these charismatic guys and some of these heretics. And, and I think it is heresy to say that God is just changing mass. He puts on the mask for the Father, and He takes it off, and He comes, and He puts on the mask as the Son, and He takes it off, and He puts on the mask as the Holy Spirit, and He takes it off. That's not what you really see in Scripture anyway, is it? Anybody remember that baptism of Jesus? Who's the one that got baptized? Was it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? That's right, it was the, it was the Son, right? Who was the one speaking out of heaven down to the people saying, this is my son whom I'm well, please listen to him? Was that the son, the father, or the Holy Spirit? That was the father, wasn't it? Who was the one that came out of heaven and descended upon the son like a dove? Was that the father? No, that was the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. They're the one God. There's not three gods. There's one God. And so 
people get all mixed up over this, over the language, because they don't understand what's going on. And what did Jesus pray in John 17? He said, give me the glory I had with you before the world was made. What glory, Jesus? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Go back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who's that? Who's the Word? Jesus, right? Because it goes on to tell us the Word was made flesh. Was the Father made flesh? Was the Holy Spirit made flesh? No. But the Son was. And He was with God, and He was God. The Ancient of Day. I mean, He's... There He is. And then He's spoken of as the Mighty God. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. And then finally, the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Yes, Christ brings peace to His people, but, but, He also said He would bring a sword. In fact, he tells them, he says, think that I came to bring peace into the earth? You said, well, you just said he, he was going to bring peace. Yes, in a different context. In the context he speaks about there, he said, no, I came to bring a sword to divide a man against his family. He starts listing them out. Who's going to follow me and who's not going to follow me? That was his sword. Was to call men and whoever came were following after him. And whoever remained because of their ties with their family or their businesses or whatever else was going on in their life that they considered more important separated themselves from him and in essence put themselves at enmity with God by doing so. In fact, John tells us in his epistle, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Are you a friend of the world, friend? Or are you one who submitted yourself to the government of the Son of God, King Jesus? Which one are you? Which one are you? He goes on, and again, I can't stress this one enough. If you don't get anything today, get this part right here. Verse 7, Isaiah 9 of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Get that in your head. Bad guys, too. You think you're going to take out the church? The ecclesia, the people of God, the assembly of the righteous? You think you're going to do that? You got another thing coming, man. It hadn't even entered into your head what the Lord's going to do to you if you don't repent. You have no clue of what you're stepping into. And I'm not talking about the power of the flesh of the people of God. I'm talking about the power of my Father. You don't know what you're dealing with because His government is going to increase forever. There won't be an end to it, but there'll be an end to your wicked reigns and to your wicked schemes. That's going to stop. It is going to stop. And we need to start talking like that, by the way. 
We really do. We really need to start talking like that. They want to tell us about what they're wanting to feed us, what they want to shoot into our bodies, spray in our air, put in our water, and all this other stuff. And what we need to do is go out and say, wait a minute, you're going to do this to the people for your wicked endeavors? Oh, we're not going to let you get away with it, and neither is our father. We're not going to let you get away with it, and neither is our father. They need to hear that. They need to be the ones who fear. Not us. They do. I think of Jesus when he went to preach. There in Luke chapter uh, 4. Remember he had been led into the wilderness by the Spirit, by the way to be tempted of the devil. 40 days, 40 nights. He's there. He passes with flying colors, as only Jesus can do, because Jesus cannot sin. He can't sin. He had no ability to sin. There's no darkness in him. Remember what John tells us about God? In him there is light and no darkness. So we read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes out of the wilderness. What what happens? And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, we, we know it as Isaiah, And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And that is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. If that wasn't enough, he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. Now, in that in the synagogue, what you would do is you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. Now, we do that as a tradition uh, here at, at the churches that I've been a part of and the ones I planted. We stand for the reading of the Word of God. No sitting around. We stand for it. Just like the people in the Old Testament, when they were called out, they stood all day and listened to the man of God read from the book of the law and expound upon it. But then when they sat down, that was the time to teach. So the teacher was sitting, teaching the people. It's a little odd. Now we got a guy standing up and you know doing all that. Anyway, he sat down and, and the eyes, let's go back to this, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Look at what happens. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. And watch, watch his words here. How they divide. I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Lots of widows. Only one got sent the prophet. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. Hmm. Hmm. Was God's hand short in helping these other widows and the other lepers? No. I'm going to tell you, God's love is very specific. It is very specific. Now, I've done a show on God's love before. But let me help those who might think, you know, God is, has sort of a peanut buttery, syrupy, milk toasty, sloshy kind of love that just kind of goes over everybody. Husbands, do you have a special love for your wife that you don't have for anybody else on the earth? You better. Wives, do you have a special kind of love for your husband over any other man on the earth? You better. Do you have a special kind of love for your children that you don't have for other people's kids? Now, you may love them, but it's not the love that you have for those that are yours. Do you have a special kind of love for those who are close friends that's different from those that you're called to love who are your enemies? Yeah. You distinguish that love all over the place, yet there are many in the Christian church who blasphemously say God has to just love everybody the same, no matter what. Nonsense. That's just nonsense. It's not biblical. In fact, when you see Jesus and Him giving Himself on the cross, He gave Himself for His people. His people. He didn't give it for every single individual that ever lived. If that was the case, hell wouldn't even have any people in it. Wouldn't have them. They would have all, every one of them come out of the grave and went to be in paradise with him. But that didn't happen, did it? Mm -mm. Nope, sure didn't. But notice what happens when he lays that out. Verse 28. Isaiah, excuse me, Luke chapter 4. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up. And I mean, what? What's the problem here? Why this anger? Why this desire to thrust him out of the, out of the city and to kill him? Well, he's telling them he's a prophet. 
He's telling them that the scriptures are fulfilled in their ears that day, not somewhere off in the future. It was that day. And he starts talking to them about how God goes through Israel. And he's specific to certain people. They rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon the, their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. And then there's just this thing, like, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. <laughs> I just, oh my goodness. I, I kind of wonder how that would be portrayed in a film. I, I, really, I, I don't really care to watch films about Jesus stuff, I, because in my mind, it seems idolatrous. Because that's not Jesus. And it's amazing to me, people will see silhouettes, or they'll see this, and they'll go, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. Really? Hmm. I go, it's an artist's rendition of Jesus, it ain't Jesus. Just like when I show my driver's license, I tell the guy, I go, that ain't me on there, that's an image of me, but it's not me. I'm right here. Just like my name on there. That's not my name. My name is, capital, lowercase, my name, right? But he's able to schmooze out through this. All these people wanting to push him off a cliff. He's able to just walk through. Just an incredible, incredible thing. But he came to proclaim liberty to the people. To the poor, to those who were brokenhearted, to deliver the captives, to give sight to the blind. Who does that? The one who's in charge. Who gives pardons? It's the guy who's been given that authority to do that, doesn't he? Who is the one that heals? Well, the Bible tells us it's Jehovah Rapha, our, the Lord, our healer, right? Who is the one who sets the captive free? Ephesians 4, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the one who leads the captive captive, right? Or the cap, captivity captive. Who is the one who gives liberty? Is it not Christ? Yes, it is. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and the increase of his government there shall be be no end. I'm going to continue with one little passage here. Uh, if you want to catch that, sonsoflibertymedia.com, Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, and also beforeitsnews.com. Bradley be with you at 3, and then Lord willing, we're going to see you in the morning, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. Talk to you then. Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from the radio. I won't keep you long, but I didn't get to this last little portion, which I think does go along with what we read right out of Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 9 there, 6 and 7, specifically. And I, I, want to, I want to bring that to bear on how this government functions. Okay? And by the way, if you want to call in, we still have time. 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. Please do not call after the show is done. Please don't call. Okay? It, this is for the show. This is not my personal sale. This is just for the show. So please don't call. But you can call now. <laughs> if you're listening live. Romans chapter 12. 
Listen to what we're told. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now remember, Paul has made a long apology. Not an apology like you and I think where we say, I'm sorry. He's made an apology. He has made a defense, if you will. Uh, we, we would call it an apologetic uh, for the Christian faith from Romans 1 up till now. And now he's, get, he's, he's in these practical things of what the work of Christ in us has done and is supposed to do. He says, now, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, one of the things that we read just a little while ago uh, was concerning um, the issue of the body. And in the midst of that, uh, how the body is to be used as well as the mind. They go hand in hand. You don't separate one out from the other. And so what Paul does is he's going to take and he's going to deal with that. And so the first thing he says is, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We've got a caller on the line. Let me take that and then I'm going to come back. I hope I remember where I'm at. Caller, are you there? Good morning, Jen. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I'm here. Good morning. I just want to say hi. Hi, first. I'm America uh, First DHL. Okay. I'm a little nervous as my voice is shaking. Don't be nervous. It's just me and you, and you know, I guess a few thousand people listening. Uh, it's sure. just me and you, though. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, this, um, it was where you hit the topic, and thank you for reminding me of this because I deviated my my trinity. Um, so I'm back to the Father being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, growing up, knowing Jesus and loving, thank God, I knew who he was. Um, I used to think, well, he came as son, so he had human, um, not sin, but temptations of Satan, and that would get me through. But then you said there's no evil in Jesus. There's no, well, I forget the exact word, but I was like, oh, my gosh, that makes sense to me, too. So I got a little confused. Okay. Are, are, you, are you clear now? Are you confused? No, no, because okay. it always got me through the hardest times in my life, knowing that Jesus Christ was human. He, he's gone through this too. Oh, yeah. And he did. I can too. Oh, but then you say, but he doesn't have, and I thought, well, that would make sense because he can rebuke Satan. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, this is God. Satan's not going to tempt him. So I guess that's, that's my confusion. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Satan tempts. Satan obviously tempted Jesus. He was led into the uh, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But the problem was, is Jesus had nothing in him that would submit to that temptation. That that this is what people don't understand. He does have a human nature, but his human nature is not a sinful human nature. That's the difference. And so he has. He has the divine. And so when I, I would recommend uh, maybe you want to take the next week and just read 1 John. Just read 1 John. Um, take your time. Um, you know, read through it each day. There's only five, chapter, I think five chapters there. Uh, read through it each day. And then think on what you take time just to think on what you've read, because in there it's going to tell you there's no darkness in God. And if we know that Jesus is God the Son, we know there's no darkness in him. So while we think of him being tempted, he's been tempted in all manner of all things, just like the rest of us, 
but he was without sin. He didn't even have the inclination to sin. Got it. Now I got it. Yeah, so all God oh is God. doing okay, all I'll God is it. doing is proving who his son is. That's what he's doing in the midst of that. Kind of like what he yeah. does with Job. Go down there and test my servant Job. Yeah, he's not Job. gonna he's not I gonna love, love, love curse Job. me and die. He's not gonna do that. So so God's yeah. confident in what he's done in the life of Job, and he's confident in what his son is who his son is and what what he's about enough to say spirit lead him into the wilderness show off my glory there i mean that's the way i see it show off who i am in my son amen amen you just born without sin kim thank you let me get you know, let everybody have you back okay oh my gosh thank you so much and a very very blessed merry christmas all right everybody thank you. you too all right bye-bye all right there she goes all right, uh, phone line again is open if you want to call right now while we're live, 803-619-9855, 803-619-9855. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that very much. Um, okay, so let's go back to this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Now, the Bible tells us that God is not, he's not looking for sacrifice. That's not what he's, he's really looking for. He's looking for obedience, He's looking for obedience. But Paul says that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Let me ask you something. How many of them old sacrifices in the Old Testament got up and walked out of the temple after they were done with the sacrifice? None of them. Why? Because they were dead. So how do you become a living sacrifice? Denying yourself. Mortifying the deeds of your flesh putting away sin from you, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to His commands, statutes, judgments, bowing your knee to His rule and His reign and His government. Oh, government. Oh, remember that? Control of the mind, right? That's also in here too. And be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world control your mind. Don't take on MK Ultra, uh, whatever they're programming you with on the television or radio or whatever. Don't be conformed to that. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your... What, what is that? Your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, why does he need to say that? Because if you're a person in Rome, and let's say you're 30, 40 years old, let's just, let's just pick a number like that, 30, 40 years old, you've had three or four decades in which you've been indoctrinated with the world at that time. The Roman world at that time. Roman law. Roman customs. Roman functions. That's what you've been indoctrinated with. And that's how you've lived your life. But now he says, instead of your bodies being given for indulgence and pleasure and whatever your heart desires, deny yourself. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Stop engaging in that. And on top of that, renew your mind. 
don't think the way you were thinking 30 or 40 years. You need to start thinking differently. And so he says, you need to renew your mind. How are you going to do that? Well, there's a clue here. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye, may be, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are you going to determine what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Well, it says by the renewing of your mind. Okay, but how do you do that? How does that happen? Well, one, it can't happen apart from the new birth. It just can't happen. Because we're dead in our sins before that. So the first thing that has to happen to a person is they have to be born again. And Paul is writing to the Romans here. Okay? And um, I didn't have it pulled up, but just so you... I I just want you to kind of see who he addresses here uh, when he addresses the Romans. Just like he does in the other epistles that he writes. Um, You know, he's, he's writing to those... Uh, who are, they, they, they've got the same thing. Listen to what he says. This is from Romans 1, just so you understand who it's written to. This is very important. By the way, this is a big deal when it comes to knowing context and things of this nature. Okay, this is, this is a big deal. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separating to the gospel of God, which he had promised afford by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Oh yeah, the gospel was there all throughout the Old Testament, wasn't it? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we... Who's we? Does, Ma- does Paul got a mouse in his pocket or is he talking to the people there? Yep. He's talking to the ecclesia, the, the people of God, the assembly of God, whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye, now he's specifically talking to the church, also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the saints. He's talking to those who've been redeemed out of the world. That's who he's talking to. Sorry, I got those mixed up there just for a second. I'm sorry. He was talking about himself and those who were accompanying him in the first part, but then he comes down and he specifically says, Yo, you who are called out here, you're called to be saints. Okay? So just so, so we understand, he's not talking in generality about every Roman has to do this, this, and that. He's talking to the people of God. That's who he's writing to. Now, every Roman needs to do that, all men everywhere are called to repentance. God, I mean, we hear that right there in the book of Acts, first thing. But now he says to do this. And so he says, you got to renew your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is something interesting. How are you going to do that if you don't know what it is? What well, what is, Tim, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How do you know where the will of God is? Well, it's in the scriptures. 
It's in the scriptures. Now we talk about, you know, theologians reference the difference between the, the, the will of God that is prescribed. In other words, God has laid out his, his will of what he wants man to do in the scriptures. And then there is the uh, decretive will of God, which is a mystery to us. It's known to God. But it's that everything that happens in the world, no matter how insignificant or how manifest it is, that is God's decretive will. It's different than his prescriptive will because within that, there is sin. You, I'll give you an example. The cross of Christ. Was it God's prescriptive will, in other words, his command, that wicked men put Jesus to death? Was this, did he command anybody to do that? No, he said, you shall not murder. And that's exactly what they did was they murdered him. Okay, so do you, do you understand the prescriptive will issue? Okay, on the decretive end, did God know that wicked men were going to do it? And did he, did he uh, set it forth from the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to be murdered by them and that he was going to accomplish a good thing out of their wicked, evil intents? Yes. Does that make sense? It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be difficult. The secret things belong to God. So if you're, you know, I had a guy one time, he, he was kind of mocking me and we worked together. I liked the guy, but he's kind of mocking me when I would talk about these things. And he picked up a can and he crushed it. We were in the, I could still see him sitting there. He crushed it and he sat it back down on the table and he goes, you're telling me that God decreed that? And I said, yep. And on the day of judgment, he's going to show you how he decreed it. And you're going to be silent. And I said, you, you really should be careful about things like that. You really should. Because you're going to answer for them. So with that said, how do we do that? We're going to have to be in the Scriptures. I listen to Bradley enough, long enough, to know that when he talks about things like, this is what they, we have these conversations off air too, uh, of what people feed on what they feed on constantly. And it comes out in what they say. Everything they say is what they're feeding on. Their fears, the bad guys, what the bad guys are doing. Hey, how about putting that stuff away a little bit and getting knowledgeable in the Scriptures? Why don't you let that water wash over you? Years ago, I got this little book on my shelf. It's about, and I, I would highly recommend it. I really would. It's only about, about that tall, that thin. It's a little thin book. Um, it's called Found God's Will. I don't even know if you can get it anymore. Maybe you can. I'm assuming you can. It's, um, it's by John MacArthur. Now, I have a lot that I am very, very thankful for, for, for to God for John MacArthur. He was a huge uh, influence in my life, uh, especially on the issue of context, um, and just a, a lot of understanding of a lot of, of a lot of things of Scripture. I mean, I used to be on a job site, and this was back in the day when you didn't have MP3 players. You had those old cassette players, you know, they're like big, bulky things, 
And I would get, I would be in his Grace to You library, and man, I'd get, I don't know how many we got, 20 at a time. And me and my dad, he had a tape duplicator, and we'd make copies so we'd save them so we could listen to them over and over and over and over and over again. And I would go through entire, you know, books of the Bible, as many as he had. I'd just go verse by verse while I'm working. That's what I had going. And he came out with this little book, and it he sent it to supporters and stuff. And so, this little book said this one thing: Are you in? Are you are you main? Look, you, only you can answer this. Are you maintaining prayer? Are you maintaining fellowship with the saints? Are you in the Word of God? Then he said, "Then do what you want, because the Spirit should be directing you." He should be leading you. Oh, Tim, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Well, look, if you're going to go do something that's contrary to Scripture, you obviously aren't reading it. Do you understand? But if you're doing those things which are following in the footsteps of the Lord, who is leading you to do that? The Spirit of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the... Sons of God, right? And what does the Bible tell us? It says he'll give us the desires of our heart. So what are the desires of your heart? If you're in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the people of God, you're in the Word, you're praying, you're loving one another, you're doing the duties that God has prescribed for you to do, and you come up with a, with a crossroad and you go, hmm, what do I do? Well, you may want to seek the Lord, but what's the desire in your heart? What is the desire in your heart? If you're doing those things, the Spirit should lead you with your desire. He really should. But it's more than that. He said it so you can prove that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You're put with things before you that give a message every single day. Movies, books, politicians, healthcare providers, your family, your friends— Everybody's putting all this stuff in front of you. How are you to filter that and to know what is true and what's not true? Well, I got to tell you, in the, in the age of deception that we're in, dealing with videos, these deep fakes and all this, somebody said that thing that I played from uh, the governor here in South Carolina on Nassara and Jasara was a, a deep fake. And maybe it is. I, I'm telling you, some of those things I can't tell the difference. But what I did tell you was, this is the trap. Now, how, did I know, how do I know that? Because of the Word of God. Because of the Word of God. So whether the video is, is legit or not, we call the truth of the matter from it. It's like we bring out reports. And we go, hmm, I don't know about that. And Why? Because, one, we take the premise of the Word of God and what it says. This is the thing, like, you know, a lot of people get mad at us because we expose Donald Trump. It, it, I'd rather lift the man up and say, praise God, he sent us a, a good man. I'd rather do that. But I can't. Why? Because I see the man, I see what the man does, I see what the man says, I see all these things, and then I compare it to what the Scripture says. And that helps me to determine and to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Does that make sense? That's the government that's upon Jesus' shoulders. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the ruler of the nations. A little thing you see over there in, in Revelation where the angel comes down, he's clothed in the cloud and he puts one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. Boy, I could get into some of those things with some of the stuff I've learned about admiralty law and stuff like that there, which probably do apply. Don't get me wrong, they probably do apply. And then we see in Revelation where it says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. You wonder why the nations are in such turmoil right now? Because they are the, they are the nations. He does rule them with a rod of iron, by the way. Read Revelation chapter 3. He rules them with a rod of iron. You know why they're in turmoil? You know why they're in distress? You know why they're, all these governments are pulling their hair out over all this stuff that's going on in their countries? Because they've departed wickedly from God, and God hasn't changed any more than wicked man has. It is the duty of men to repent of their sin, their lawlessness. Again, 1 John 4.3. Sin is transgression of the law. Not man's law, God's law. Where are you going to find that? Exodus chapter 20. You'll find the expansion of that in the Pentateuch there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'll find the expansion of what those Ten Commands mean. And that's the law. Anything added to that is pretended law. It's pretended law. It's not real law. Let me ask you something. Jesus is king. There's no question. There's no debate. We're not going to debate that. Jesus is king. Are you submitting to his government or are you a rebel still? Are you still dead in your sins? I, I thought about this last night as I was going to bed. This is going to be my final thought and then we'll close out. I've told you before, I, you know, as a preacher's kid, um, you know, I, I went through all the stuff I was told to do. Walk the aisle, get baptized, go through the Romans road track, go through the spiritual flaws. I, I mean, I, you hear a message, you don't want to go to hell, right? And that's what it was. It was a worldly kind of sorrow that doesn't produce repentance. Why? Because the Spirit of God didn't regenerate me. At least not that I ever sensed. But let me tell you something. When he did, there was a, there was a huge change, and all of it began here and in here. There was a connection there. There was all of a sudden a connection. I had all kinds of stuff up here. I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. But all of a sudden, there was life. I went from death unto life. That's 1 John 2, uh, by the way, America First. 1 John, um, he talks about that too. We've passed from death to life. And how do we know that? We love the brethren. We love to be around them. 
We love for them to correct us. We love for them to correct them. We love to rejoice together. We love to sing together. We love to pray together. We love to eat together. We love to do things together. If you don't have that, then you might want to question whether or not you've passed from death to life. The other thing John says is that we forsake sin. It's no longer the pattern of our life. Our life is a striving for holiness. That's what we strive for. Because of what Christ has done for us. Did Christ die for our sins to leave us in them? Or as Matthew 1.21 says, was his name Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins? That idea is that pull them away from them, to save them from them. Not just the consequence, to save them from the sin. And friend, if you have no... If you have no desire to depart from sin, you are not of Christ. You're not. You can tell me that all you want. You can tell me how many baptisms you've had, how many times you walk. Because I've been down that road. I know. And I'm telling you because I love you. I don't want you to be deceived. If you have no desire to leave off your sin, if sin does not just... If it doesn't just aggravate you and annoy you and if you don't have a hatred, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, but you need to be born again. And I pray God would grant that. Guys, God's not going to leave his people without a government. And I'm not talking about D.C. or the states. I'm talking about his king and his law. He's not left us without government. We have it. We have good government under King Jesus. The problem is, is that for many professing Christians, they have not taken that to heart and done what it says. They've not been, they've not submitted their bodies as a living sacrifice and they have not renewed their minds. And I, I have to ask the question, how does, that, how does God do that in me and some of you, but he doesn't do it in them? We're both professing the same Christ, or we're professing Christ. Let me put it that way. We're professing Christ. How does that happen? It's because God did the work in one, and he didn't do it in the other. And by the way, Neither one of those, the one he did the work in and the one he didn't do the work in, has anything to glory about it. And if you want an example, go back and look at Moses and Pharaoh. God was at work in the heart of Moses, humbling him, teaching him, empowering him. And in Moses and in Pharaoh, he was working in his heart to harden him. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's exactly what a wicked sinner would say. Exactly. Because why? Pharaoh didn't want to have anything to do with God anyway. Look at how he treated the people of God. Look how he treated Moses. No, he got exactly what he deserved. Exactly what he wanted, by the way. He got the desire of his heart. And that was to harden it against the Most High. And what was the result? Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed in front of the eyes of the people of God and of the, the man of God that God called him to, 
quit doing what he was doing with. But Pharaoh wouldn't heed. Why? Because he wasn't given ears to hear. And you only get ears to hear, and I know people don't like this, but you only get ears to hear and eyes to see when God gives them to you. And if he doesn't give them to him, you're not going to hear and you're not going to see. I want to tell you, it should cause you to tremble because you're not in control of your salvation. God is. And he commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, how are they supposed to repent to him if, you know, if, if it's up to God and this, that, and the other? Again, go back and read Ezekiel and the dry bones. The men preach, and somehow the Spirit comes alive there, and he makes those people alive to that word. And apart from that, they will remain dead in their sins under the condemnation and the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. I hope that is not you today. If it is, and you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Cry out to God to soften it. Plead with him. Because I'll tell you what, if you start doing that, that is the result of the Spirit of God working in you. If you don't do it, it's the, it's the result of the Spirit of God not doing it in you, but hardening you just like Pharaoh. Bradley be with you at three. Uh, tomorrow we'll have Kate on, I hope, Lord willing, hope, hopefully there's no health issues or something with us, and uh, we'll cover uh, another health topic there and uh, what's going on in the UK. So join us at 8 a.m. Lord willing, we'll see you then.